him to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. The, Lord of, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you, Amelia. Great job. Would you pray with me once more as we come to God's Word? Let's pray. Jesus, as we come to your words here in your teaching, we pray that in our hearts that we would become like Mary in these next few moments. That we would come and that we would sit at your feet. That we would take your words into our lives. That we would become your disciples, your apprentices, your students. And that we would go out to practice your words in the world. That we would know greater life. And that others would too. Would you come, Lord Jesus, and teach us to be your disciples. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, uh, usually we start each week with a question for our young people, so I'll throw out a question. It's kind of rhetorical, but if you've got an answer, I'd love to hear it. But uh, here's the question. Do you ever find things in life that you want to do? Things that you should do. Things that you intend to do, but that you never get around to doing. Do you ever have that experience in your life? I mean, maybe it's chores, maybe it's schoolwork, maybe it's exercise. We find this happen in our house all the time, but I'll, I'll just use myself as an example. You know, there's all these things around the house, these projects around the house that I, I know need to be done. I fully intend to do them. I tell my wife and my children, I'm going to do that, or if I'm asked to do something, I'm like, absolutely, I'd be happy to do that. And it doesn't happen. And it doesn't happen over and over and over. And, you know, there's this reality that's kind of sometimes hard to face. And the reality is, wait a minute. Sometimes I think it's just because I'm too busy and I got too much else to do. But there's plenty of things that I find time for, right? But I have to come to this place, this realization and realize, you know, maybe I need to be honest. And this is not a priority in my life. And that's hard to admit. We've been in a sermon series this summer where we're talking about rest. We're talking about where do we find rest? And that's a huge question in our culture. I mean, most of the things that are being sold to us, and we're being sold constantly in a consumeristic culture, we're being sold rest. Buy this, enjoy this, experience this, and you will find rest. We're obsessed with rest. Maybe Jesus knew something about us, Whenever he said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. How many of us, if we're honest this morning, we feel weary. We feel burdened. And we've talked about one of the greatest barriers to rest is the crazy busyness of our culture and our lives. 
I mean, what is the thing that we say? It's almost like a pleasantry. Whenever you see someone, you haven't seen them for a while, and we ask, hey, how you been? What is the number one answer? It's like the stock answer. What do we say? I've been busy. Right? We all say that. And it's true. We have been. But it almost feels righteous, right? It almost feels important. If I'm busy, that means I'm in high demand. That means I'm making the world work. It means I'm tending to all kinds of stuff. If we're honest, busyness is giving us something. But it's also preventing something. One of the things that we've talked about that busyness does in our lives, and we talked about that, that phrase from Dallas Willard where he says, hurry is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life in our day. That's a big statement. But I think he might be right. That it's our hurry and our busyness and our filling our lives with so many good things that is the greatest barrier to us flourishing in our life with Jesus. That's a huge reality because for most of us, busyness doesn't seem bad. It seems righteous. So we're getting at where do we find rest? What does this look like? And as we started the series, this has been our focus, that the only place that we find rest, now whenever we talk about rest, we're not talking about just unplugging or just, you know, a nice slow day, though those are very important to rest. We're talking about soul rest. We're talking about something that's deep and in the bones, which is what we most deeply long for and what we most deeply need. Where do we get that kind of rest? And we started off the series and we've been continuing saying, it only comes from Jesus. That's the only place we will find rest for our souls. And Jesus says, the way you get that is you got to come to me and become my disciple. you got to take my yoke upon you. That's what we just sang about. To take the yoke of Jesus on you means to become his disciple, his apprentice. It means that I start to learn his way. That I'm practicing his words in his life. Not what we often think in the Bible Belt. We think becoming a Christian and, and being a Jesus person means I believe certain things in my head. Now that's important, but we stop there. I believe certain facts about Jesus. I believe certain things are true. Maybe even I vote a certain way, right? And maybe I go to church occasionally, whatever. And after all, I walked an aisle or I prayed a prayer in my life, so I'm good. We think it kind of ends there. Yeah, I should do a few more things, but like I'm good. But what we're learning is that no, 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 no. Jesus has called us to be His disciples. That means to know Him and follow Him and take His way upon us, to take His yoke upon us. And Jesus says, you know what, my yoke, it's easy. It's not a burden. It is the life of freedom. Will we practice His words and experience His freedom? So in our series, we've talked about a number of key parts of that teaching of Jesus. We talked about silence and solitude, quiet time, having that time with Jesus. We talked about Sabbath, this rhythm of just ceasing everything and resting in who God is. We talked last week about a simplicity of life, just at the heart of the teaching of Jesus, where He says, you're going to get rid of all this stuff in your life if you're ever going to follow Me and experience rest. We talked about that last week. Well, this week we're going to come, we're going to talk about how do we get that? You know, I think most of us, as we're, maybe as we're going through this uh, series and we're hearing these things, we're like, yeah, you know, I want that. I want to do that. I'm going to get to that soon. That's coming. That's right around the corner. Let me just get past this. The question is, how do we actually get there? 
How do we get there? How do we get to where Jesus really is my rest? And that's what we're going to talk about in our passage today. How does Jesus take that priority of rest in our hearts? So here, let's jump into our passage here. Uh, Again, we're in Luke chapter 10. I love this, this story here. You know, whenever you're studying the Bible and you come to a narrative, which means story, you come to a story in the Bible, what the Bible wants you to do and invites you to do is to come into that story. To put yourself in there. To imagine yourself there. To allow it to affect your heart. Because the reality is, is that story impacts the heart the way that just basic facts don't. So let this story impact you. Put yourself there. What would it be like if I was at Martha's house and I was watching this happen and Jesus was there in the living room teaching about what it means to be His disciple. So let's jump into our story here. In verse 38, we learn that Jesus and His disciples are traveling along in their ministry. Now, one of the things that Jesus said as He began His ministry He told his disciples, listen, we're going to depend on the hospitality of God's people. And we're not going to arrange it ahead of time. We're just going to trust that God is going to move in people's hearts and they're going to open their home. So they're experiencing it here. They've traveled to this village. In John's Gospel, we learn it's in Bethany. That's where Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus live. And so they've come to Bethany and Martha opens her home. Now this show of hospitality... In the, actually in Eastern cultures today, is a huge ethic. It's very shocking to us as Americans because we're very privatized, you know. We want to we be able to open our garage door from the security of our car, pull in, close the door behind us, and then get out. I'm right there with you, okay? Right? We'll wave at the neighbor as we're pulling into the garage, right? This is not a reality. We have to relearn hospitality. Now, some of us, are pretty far away from our neighbors and we like it that way, right? But hospitality in this day was a huge thing, this opening of your life to others, to give rest, to give life, to give friendship. And we see Martha has stepped up to the plate. Now this was a hard thing to do. I mean, Jesus is rolling with quite a crew here. I mean, we know at least He's got 12 people with Him. And as we followed the story, we know there was a lot of other people that were a part of this crew. He had 12 disciples who were traveling with him, but many other disciples beyond those 12 that traveled with them. We're not told how many people, but we know this was a task. Homes weren't big in this day. And so Martha opens her home to all these people. And Jesus comes in, and they're gathered around, and he begins teaching. Now one of the things that we're told right off the bat in verse 39, is that she had a sister named Mary. And Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. That's literally what it says. She's sitting at the Lord's feet, listening to what He said. Now, this tears Martha up. She's upset. She's frustrated. Now, there's a couple reasons why. One is the busyness of the moment. We'll get to that in just a minute. But also... The significance of what this means. You see, not only was she physically sitting at Jesus' feet, that is also a technical term for becoming someone's disciple. That was the phrase that you used in that day whenever someone became a disciple of a rabbi. You said, I'm sitting at their feet. That's what Paul says about his own experience as he was a Pharisee. 
He says, I sat at the feet at Gamaliel, a very famous rabbi. So to sit at someone's feet means you come under their teaching. It means that you become their disciple. Now this is kind of radical in this day. Because in this day, women did not become disciples of rabbis. It was culturally unacceptable. It was only men that were studied under rabbis. But as we've seen in the ministry of Jesus, everything changes with the ministry of Jesus. And we see that Mary has left her place from the kitchen. And she has come captivated by Jesus. Captivated by His teaching. Captivated by His person. And she has come and she is sitting at His feet putting herself under Him, saying, I want to be your disciple. I want to follow you. You have the words of life. And so there's Mary. But Martha, well, she's tending to all the stuff that's got to be done. Right? Now let's, I'm, I'm trying to be gracious to Martha here. There was a lot to be done, right? A lot of good things to be done. Now Mary, Martha is consumed with all of the details like food she's got to prepare prepare food for these people she knows she she knows that this is her duty to be in this place and provide for the meal and all of those things she's in the place that she's supposed to be in she's working hard all these things are going on and she sees what mary is doing and she's frustrated like what are you you're neglecting your duty mary you're neglecting what you're supposed to be doing. I'm trying to serve people in Jesus' name, right? There's a lot to do here. Now, she was tending to good stuff. But it's interesting how she comes at Jesus. This is just shocking to me. I mean, it really must have been tearing her up because she comes hard at Jesus. Look at what she says. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Don't you care? Aren't you watching? She's calling out Jesus here. A little scary, right? Dude, what's wrong with what kind of a rabbi are you? She's out of place. She should be in here. Tell her to help me. There's too much to be done. And I love Jesus' response. You know, in his response, you notice right off in verse 41, he, he repeats the name. Anytime you double the name, you give emphasis to a name or it, it makes it more tender. It makes it more personal. So she comes at him in, quite frankly, an insulting way. Now some of us, sometimes we, busyness makes us short, doesn't it? You ever experienced that in life? Like when I got so much to do and I've overwhelmed my life and like I'm feeling like everything's on me, which I feel a whole lot. Right? It's all up to me. Who feels like that? When I'm in that place, I ain't got time for people. And when somebody comes at me with a need, when somebody interrupts me, or when somebody's not helping, what do you do? You shoot back at them. Right? We get chirpy. We cut. Right? That's Martha. That's Martha because deep down she's feeling like, I'm overwhelmed. I got to tend to all of this and I'm by myself. But, but Jesus tenderly responds to her and he says Martha, Martha I mean, you just see his compassion here he sees her, he meets her, he invites her into something that she cannot see. Martha, Martha you're worried and upset about many things but only one thing is needed 
Only one thing is needed. You know what? Mary has chosen what's better. I'm not going to take it from her. You hear that invitation? It's an invitation to us in the midst of all of our weariness, all of our busyness, all of our feeling like the world is up to me. Because the reality is, as he tells her, you're distracted. See, all the things that we fill our life with, it distracts us from the main thing. All this stuff. And I mean, it's good stuff. It's dutiful stuff. I mean, we can agree. Martha was serving people. This is good stuff, okay? She's not just in there watching Netflix, all right? She's serving people. But even to those good things, Jesus says, it's distracting you from the better thing. From the real only thing that you need in your life. I mean, think about the reality that she can't see. The creator of the universe is in her living room. The person who's spoken the world into existence and the person who has made her and knows her and has come to rescue her is in her living room. And she's in the kitchen doing the dishes. But she can't see it. You see, Jesus comes to us and He says, you know, I see your weariness. And I know how much you got on you. And I know how much it feels like it's all up to you and you're all alone. And I know all of this stuff you filled your life with and it feels like I can't let any of it go. It's all necessary. I can't let people down. I can't say no. Who else can't say no? I can't say no. I just put it out there. I can't say no, not because it's for other people, because it's for me. Because I, I don't want people to, to be upset with me. So I've got to come through for everybody. That's not loving other people. It looks like it on the surface. It's loving me, if we're honest. You see, Jesus says, I see all of that in your life. But you, do you understand something? You only need one thing. Me. Come sit at my feet. And everything else in your life will find its proper place. Everything else in your life will flow from that. It's like the same thing Jesus said as we saw last week in the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking about worry again. Talking about our propensity to worry about all these things in life. Even basic necessities. And he says, just this key verse. Seek first His kingdom. And His righteousness. And all these other things. They'll be given to you. So that's at the heart of the yoke of Jesus. That what becomes first in our life. Is the kingdom. That it becomes Jesus. That I'm sitting at His feet. That becomes the first thing. Everything else Jesus says. It's going to be taken care of. So I got a little object lesson here. I like little object lessons. I'm a teacher. So I get excited when I think of one of these. Now when I, when I got this and my kids saw this, I know what some of you are thinking right now. It's what they were thinking. My kids say, are you about to break this? Are you going to break this? So if you've been around here a lot, I like to like take nice pottery and break it on the floor. I'm not going to do that today. So everybody was tensing up whenever I got this. So this will not break in a few minutes, okay? But this is a picture of your life, okay? This is the capacity of your life. It's the, the time you got, the ability, the energy, and it's, it's, it ends here at the top, okay? And it's limited. It's not unlimited. 
Okay? And here's another thing to understand. We all have the same amount. Everybody's got the same jar. Everybody's got 24 hours in a day, seven days in a week, 365 days in a year. It's limited. It happens to be the same amount as in Jesus' day. It's all the same. So we're limited, we're finite, we're just creatures, and oh, by the way, a lot of that you just got to sleep. Okay? So we have a limited capacity. But here's what happens in our life. We fill up our life with all kinds of good stuff, right? And so we put things in our life. We got, we got health in our life. We got work in our life. We got family in our life. We got vacations in our life. You know, we got all this stuff we got to have. All this stuff we got to experience. Now, by the way, it's a lot of good stuff. I haven't listed any bad stuff yet. There's some bad stuff in here, probably. Well, for sure, in all of our lives. Stuff we just don't need. But we fill our lives with all of these things, and a lot of it is good. But we just fill it up to where there's not much left in our life. I mean, we're just kind of out. And we're trying to cram more stuff in constantly. But here's the experience. So Jesus says, here's what, here's what I want you to do in your life. I want you to put me and my kingdom into your life and at the center. I want this to be your core. I want this to be first in your life. And so a lot of us, we might hear that. I imagine that for many of us here, we're kind of in that place where we're like, okay, I want to do that. I believe most of us sincerely want to do that. We want to practice solitude and silence in our life. We want to observe the Sabbath as a day of rest and worship. We want to practice simplicity and get rid of some of the crazy amounts of stuff we fill our life with. We want to do that. We want to have a quiet time. We want to be with Jesus. We want to grow in our relationship with Him. But here's the problem. We try to fit it in. And there's no room. And we spend so much of our life thinking, man, if I just try a little harder, I'm going to get it in here. And we'll make a good plan. And we're like, alright, this week I'm going after it. We'll have that quiet time, silence and solitude. But like, it just doesn't happen. And so we live and we're just frustrated. And we're like, Oh, it won't fit. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? He's saying you you got to start with it all empty. And then, first thing's got to be first. You've got to put me in my kingdom first. At the center. It's the only way it's going to fit. It, you have to give up control of your life in order to have Jesus. It's at the heart of the teaching and yoke of Jesus. You know, Jesus said if you seek to save your life, you're going to lose it. By save your life, He means have control of my life. Like I'm going to determine what my life looks like and where I go and where I spend my time and what I give myself to like this. Okay? If you seek to save your life, hold control of your life, eventually you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life, to me, that is you just let go of it all and you take me into your life. You'll gain it. Because here's the reality. Jesus is too big to cram into the periphery. He won't fit. You cannot add Jesus onto your life. And in the Bible Belt, we do that all the time. Okay? We've got the life that looks like everybody else and we try to add Jesus onto the top. And He will not fit. 
because he's got to go in first. But here's the reality. When Jesus is in here, guess what? Everything else is able to fit into your life. That's what he said. If you seek my kingdom first, then all these other things will be added to you as well. And yeah, some of those things he might, you might realize when Jesus is at the center, I don't need some of these, right? But you see, he can only be first. Otherwise, he won't fit. So, let's apply this for a few minutes and we can discuss it. Where are you? Do you find yourself in this place where you're trying to fit Jesus in and it just won't fit? Do you find yourself saying, ah, man, you know, I thought I was good. Like, it's so easy to think that, you know, like we, we in the Bible Belt, you know, I prayed the prayer. I believe the stuff in my head. I try to go to church every, every now and then. Isn't that enough? And when you're in that mindset all the teaching of Jesus feels like a duty. You feel that? You feel like, hey, I'm going to church because I'm supposed to, right? Because if I don't, I feel guilty, and when I go, I feel good, right? I feel like I've, you know, exercised or something, right? You know, and we're, we're the, the things, the teaching of Jesus and silence and solitude and Sabbath and all that stuff, it feels like a duty in your life. You know, I should do it, and I'm trying to do better, and I'm better than I was, but hopefully I'm going to get better. Does, does it feel like a duty to you? Because if you're trying to cram Him on, it's just a duty. But if you begin to see, no, wait, Jesus is life. If you begin to discover what Mary discovers, like you are life. She didn't go in there and sit because it was her duty or because she wanted to get out of the dishes. She went and sat at His feet because she met life embodied. And she said, I want you. I want you to have my life. I want you to be my master. My Lord, which means like you're in control, not me. Because here's what Jesus teaches. Like whenever I'm your master, it's the easy yoke. And that's the big shocker, I think. Because I think as we think about obeying Jesus and following Jesus, you were like, man, that's hard. How am I going to do that? And granted, it is hard. To die and let go of your life. That's the hard part. But what Jesus is saying is, my yoke is the easy way. It's the freeing way. It's where you get life. It's where you get rest. My burden is light. And I think for many of us, we think, oh, it's so burdensome to follow Jesus. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. I'm trying to give you life. So what do we do if we're in this place and we're trying to cram and, you know, it doesn't fit? What do you do? What are you going to do? What we got to do is we got to pour it out on the table. You got to pour everything out and then put Jesus in the center. And that's the dying. That's called repentance. Repentance is letting go. Repentance is saying, Lord, I'm searching after life and all kinds of things. I'm filling my life with things that I'm looking to to be ultimate things. And they're not ultimate things. I repent. I want you to be the center of my life. That's called repentance. It's actually the way to joy and freedom. And let me just say this. This is not just something you do once. 
again, a huge thing we struggle with in the Bible Belt. Some of you might be thinking, oh, I'm so glad I did that when I was eight years old. Right? This is the way of Jesus. Constantly repenting and believing the gospel. Constantly pouring out the jar because yet again, all this other stuff is getting central to my life. That's my daily reality. Do you know I wake up not with Jesus just being at the center? I wake up with all kinds of other things grabbing my heart. I find on a daily basis, I'm getting off of this and I'm wanting to fill my life with hobbies or experiences or success or sports or kids sports or it's all it's limitless the stuff that my heart wants to run after and put it the center and live for so it's like a constant process of saying wait a minute i'm in the i'm in the kitchen with martha whenever life is in there with mary i'm gonna come sit at your feet this is the life of jesus repenting from being in the kitchen and going into the living room and sitting at the feet of Jesus. So let me stop there just for a minute and let us interact over that. If you're new here, we do this each week. We just we discuss the passage. We interact over it. It helps us to learn. So what happens in you as you as you think about this? As you think about first things first, Jesus being at the center. Let's hear from each other. LG is going to get us started. In this scene happening in our kitchen, where I'm helping mom dry the dishes and Eden is playing in the den with Boaz, and I'm like, oh my goodness, she's not working. I need her to come work. And I can totally feel what Martha was feeling there with Mary, and I realized that I need to learn to let go. I need to learn that my little siblings do not have to work all the time. I could so totally see Martha being me and wanting Mary to work. I could yes. like totally see that in my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, this was very applicable for me as an older sister. Yes. Thank you so much, LG, for your honesty. And you know, it's not just... I think it'd be easy for... that. So there's some of us in here who are like, dutiful people and some people who like find it easy to relax that's kind of me it's kind of like the older brother and younger brother oftentimes in a marriage you have one of each right and so those of us who are the younger brother who find it like easy to relax and like well I'll do that later right that's me we see a passage like this and we're like see I'm just Mary and you're just Martha right that ain't what Jesus is saying. You can be Martha and not actually be doing productive things. But you're doing your own thing. Or all kinds of other things. Or man, I mean, we got places to go see. We got, we got things to experience. We got vacations to go on, right? I'm not against vacations. But they're central in our life. Right? They... Those good things crowd out the only one thing that we need. So the, the, the application here is whether you're an older brother, younger brother, whether you're dutiful or like, yeah, I'm just chill. Whichever one you are is to say, how am I like Martha? And I get distracted by these things. 
And what would it look like for me to go after the only thing I need? Because that's where rest is. Especially when you're feeling like, my life's crazy. And Jesus is just saying, you know you only need one thing. Well, what if, if I don't do this? If You only need one thing. Hey, Hutch. Um, your last little bit, you were talking about fresh repentance or repentance on a, every morning when we wake up. Uh, for me, it was, there was a moment um, late in life where um, God changed my life. Mm. Um, and there's not been a day since then that I haven't had to wake up and say, God, here's my hands. They're upside down. I give this to you. Um, and, and looking for fresh repentance. Um, and I think for me, oftentimes when I don't do that, there's a span of, you know, a couple of days where I'm just miserable and trying to figure out what in the world and my head's down and I'm, I'm just plowing ahead. Um, but that fresh repentance is such an amazing, uh, grace flows like it did the first time. Yeah, that's right. And it just flows into your life. And, um, so I, I, I just, that resonated with me. Mm. Thank you, Greg. Yeah. It's, it's moment in time. There's got to have a beginning. And in, in many times the beginning can be a powerful experience of it. Sometimes you don't notice that as much, but it's, it's point in time and ever deepening in the Christian life. And I'll just say this, you know, there's so many things that we have in our life that, that tricks us into this, that leads us into this. And one of those, I, I find so many friends that I know, and they're believers, and they are so worried and upset about politics that they've got no room, they've forgotten Jesus. Like there's, there's no peace in their life because they look around at our culture and they see these things happening and they're just in a panic. And it's like, like it's okay to cut off the news. That's okay. It's okay to not know what happened in Washington today. Because whatever happened in Washington today is bound to be terrible. Okay, let's just be honest. Either which way it goes, to the right or the left, it's bad, okay? But we're those people that like believe that Jesus is on His throne. We don't have to worry about Republicans and Democrats, liberal and conservative, and who's winning today, and who's getting the Twitter dunk on somebody else. We don't have to worry about that. Because my King is Jesus. And one day, everybody's going to bow to Him. Whether in absolute joy and delight or in terror. One or the other. We've got to be people that believe that. So resist the trick of getting lured into this filth. Jesus' kingdom is coming. We've got to live like that. Okay, I'm, I'm off my soapbox here. Alright, does anybody have anything else? Chris has got something. I knew if I waited long enough, somebody would say that. That's, I was 
I'll break the silence. No, I relate to Martha in the sense that uh, I know exactly who's sitting in my home. And I believe, wrongfully, obviously, that my work is paramount to uh, worship, right? Yeah. And that my value is tied up in that. Yeah. I think it's a reflection of what I value mm-hmm. and what I trust, mm-hmm. um, which is not fun to confront. Yeah. So I, so I just don't. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Chris. I think for a lot of us, our work can be this huge barrier. Because work for many of us is where we find identity. It's where we find meaning. Some of us are like, no, not me. I hate work. But for many of us, for you, it's something else. But for many of us, work is where this is what gives me meaning. And so it becomes the, the dominating thing in our life. And it leads to a lot of crazy business, right? Kalita? Something that struck me that you said was as we add Jesus to our lives, that it becomes duty. Yeah. And that's just something I've always struggled with. And duty to me is easy. It's fairly easy, but it's empty. And yeah. it just leads me to asking, isn't there more to this than, than this? There has to be more to this. And so as you, you didn't say it, but you implied it, that when we make him first, it switches from duty to delight. Yes. And that's where you feel Jesus, you know, yeah. and that's where you are more full. Yes. And it's not, um, it doesn't feel like duty because it. I'm just repeating myself, but duty's just, it's just empty. Yes. And so just getting to that place of delight, which the Bible calls us to, yeah. is, um, is the answer. That's it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, God wants our delight in Him because that magnifies His glory. You know, if we're just serving out of duty, and we should do that at the bare minimum, but it doesn't magnify his worth. I've used the, the illustration before, like if I was to bring Ashley some flowers on her birthday and she was to say, oh, thank you so much. And I would say, don't mention it. It's my duty. Like that would be crushing. It would be like, oh, you're saying I'm not worth anything. But if I bring that out of, I want to express the weight and the value of who you are. It's my joy to do this. Well, that magnifies her. Well, that's the way it is with God. Our duty does not magnify His worth. His beauty, His power, His glory. Our delight does. And that's why we say we are seeking to enjoy Jesus. Not just to say, hey, I believe in Jesus, or I'm agreeing to these things, or whatever. I'm a Christian and not something else. That's why we say our mission is to enjoy Jesus, that He would be the delight and the satisfaction of my soul. That magnifies Jesus. And that also makes for powerful witness, because other people are like, I want some of that, right? I find it striking that uh, Martha says, don't you care? And it reminds, (laughs) the disciples uh, say that in the storm-tossed boat, you know, Jesus, yeah. don't you care yeah. that, you know, we're about to, you know, be perishing. And it's such a heart-revealing thing. Huh. And I think we can, you know, oh. I certainly reflect on that. And that at somewhere at the bottom, 
of our tendency to legalism and wanting to earn things with God is a fear that he doesn't actually care about us or love mm. us. Man. And so we're afraid, don't you actually care about me? Do you really love me? Yeah. And we're afraid that he doesn't. And so yeah. we're, we're seeking for ways to, to earn that. Yeah. And then maybe if somebody else isn't doing it, we sort of lash out or whatever. But yeah. uh, that's uh, <clears throat> just a really revealing mm. comment. John, that'll preach right there, man. Um, I find that whenever something goes wrong in my life, whenever something bad happens, whenever some disappointment hits, that's what I'm asking right off the bat. God, why don't you care? Y'all relate to that? And it reveals deep down, I don't think he does. What would be different if I was deeply convinced, whether life's going well, or there's incredible struggles, God deeply cares about me. I think it would change everything. Sonny. I have been very challenged by family members and mm. condemned for my new, yeah. again, found religion. Yeah, yeah. And... um you know, for a few days or a few weeks with this one or that one, it's really broken my heart. Mm. But I continue on. Mm. And I feel, sometimes I feel ashamed of talking here because for the most part, I'm so happy in my soul. Mm. And God is working with me so much that I hate to talk about it. Mm. But uh, the ones I do want to talk about it to, they don't want to hear it, you know, or, <laughs> or you know, they're, but, um, yeah, I, I've almost emptied that jar. Mm -hmm. I'm working on emptying that jar. Yeah. But God yeah. is in the center of it. Yeah. And um, it's, it's almost scary to me at this mm. point. And yeah. I also feel guilty because I'm. I always say old and decrepit, which, you know, y'all know I have a lot of physical things. and um, But I don't have a job, mm -hmm. you know, other than my raccoons and my cats and my, you know, stuff like that. And and so um, I have all this time mm. that I can praise God and, and feel God so much. Yeah. So I don't want to. Yeah. That's you know, so I'm sitting here and debating on even saying this. Yeah. Because I feel guilty because I have so much good time. Yeah. So can I ask a question? Thank you for sharing. What makes you feel guilty about that? Because I know everybody, you know, they work and I feel guilty because I don't have that much to do. Yeah. And um, I've actually been calling places to try to volunteer. Nobody's returned my calls. So I kind of feel, you know, so I know they'll probably all call back at once. Yeah. <laughs> but... I, I am looking, you know, to try to testify to somebody that might actually want to hear it. Yeah. And not um, know all of my life or condemn me for my past lives. Yeah. And say, yeah. well, you're not one to be talking to me. Yeah. You know? Right. But. Um, right. Well, I think your your life really highlights grace, which is the most powerful testimony we can have. The rescue of Jesus. That I had no part in. And that's a I powerful test. I'm spiritually happy ever been. Yeah. That's beautiful. <laughs> that's wonderful. Your joy does not come from your circumstances. But from Jesus. 
That's very evident. And that's a powerful testimony. Thank you for sharing. I just want to add one little thing. Um, I really love all of this. It's so good. But um, I love the image of the rocks. And um, I, I sinfully put you on this pedestal of like, you know, we just, we probably all do. But um, I love ta you talking about like the morning mm. being so important to go to God first because like, I look at that image and, like, before you started bringing about, like, the waking up and your heart is pulled in all these different directions, um, I was like, okay, yeah, I need to have that, like, big moment where I really finally put God first, you know, I need to, like, bring all my things that, like, help center me and I'm going to have this big, like, awesome moment with God, but really it's just that act of doing it the first thing in the yes. morning and, yes. like, repeat, like, the habitual Mm. act until it does turn into that um like mm -hmm. joyfully doing it and loving it and not you know telling your husband immediately like hey i read the bible this morning <laughs> um <laughs> yeah. did you do it yet so yeah it's it's like when you really um are honest with yourself and yeah. and truly commit to putting him first in the morning each day instead yeah. of like i'm gonna have this big moment and then it's gonna be much easier after that yeah so yeah the continual fight i guess thank you charlie uh one of my favorite phrases is repeated repentance is progress. Now, sometimes, especially in those areas that are real stubborn in our life, the deep-seated patterns in our life that we don't feel like we can change over, we go after repenting in those areas, but because we don't see progress, we stop repenting because we think God doesn't want me to keep coming to Him over this, right? Because He's going to think, well, you don't even mean it, so don't even come. You know, we just, we imagine God to be that way. But in reality, if I'm repenting more, I'm actually making progress in the Christian life. So a, a mature Christian repents more than a brand new baby Christian. And we get that backwards. We think, man, the more I'm growing in Christ, the less I'm having to repent of. Not how it works. <laughs> the closer we get to Jesus, the more we discover how much we need to repent. The repeated repentance is progress. That's your takeaway today. Okay? Let me, let me go ahead and pray for us. Father, we, we praise You that as Jesus teaches us that Your heart towards us is good. And we do so naturally say, don't You care? Lord, would You let the gospel be our lens for our circumstances rather than the other way around. Would we be so deeply rooted in the rescue of Jesus, the free grace of Jesus, that we would be convinced of your overflowing heart of love for us and that that would be the lens through which we look at our lives, our circumstances, and our world. Lord, would you set us free with the grace of the gospel Jesus, would we find our rest in you alone? Would you become our center, our infinite center, that, that your life would flow out of us into all those around us? In Christ's name we pray, amen.